Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes. Helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old School Grit, New World Ideas, Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be one of my friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Let's play ball. Major League Baseball is gearing up for a season that starts next month with all the teams playing in Phoenix. The CDC and the National Institutes of Health are supportive, according to ESPN. And even though there won't be any fans, it feels like we might return to some semblance of normalcy. Take me, well, don't take me to the ball game, but like have a ball game. I think that's the perfect metaphor for today's opening, though, where the market started strong, all kind of excited about the baseball season. Dow up at 1.900 points. But I think the metaphor is actually wrong, which is why we only sold off hard in the afternoon. Dow ended up closing off 26 points. Doesn't be dipping 0.16%. NASDAQ edging down 0.33%. was quite a reversal. We're supposed to be in one of the saddest moments in modern history. While we may have slowed the spread of COVID-19, the death toll does keep accelerating. Yet earlier today, investors were basically saying, hey, it's always darkest before the dawn. Well, what do they think dawn looks like? If you judge by yesterday's action, buyers are betting on a V-shaped recovery. Boom, boom. Business comes roaring back. Everything goes back to normal. A V says we'll have this virus whipped in no time. Oh, I'd love that kind of recovery. So would you. I know that. But it's not going to happen. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely believe we are going to beat this thing. We are a strong country. I have never for a moment doubted that our scientists will only come up with a way to treat, if not eradicate, this disease. And eradicate it must be. I started warning you about the coronavirus early and often, but I was never on board with the apocalyptic hedge fund managers who came on our air and wondered if society would collapse. Oh, by the way, I haven't bought a home in the pandemic islands. It's a secret archipelago where the rich with really rich hedge fund managers. They're all hunkering down. Don't bother Googling it. You won't find pandemic islands. It's actually something that I think that my partner, David Faber, spotted from above. However, V is what justifies yesterday's rally and today's vicious panicky uplift before the collapse. And as much as I do love Churchill, I do not believe in the V when it comes to this recovery. Why not? Three problems. 
First, we still don't have an effective way to treat COVID-19. Can't get back to normal without a treatment or a vaccine. Got to have one. Two, we still don't have an effective way to stop spreading the darn thing during the two-week period where people are infected but asymptomatic. I mean, well, you know, a few days asymptomatic but then infected. And that's why we're all on lockdown, this quarantine. Three, some parts of the country, like New York, seem to be flattening the curve. But that doesn't mean we, can't, we can go back to normal. It just means we've taken the absolute worst-case scenario off the table. Now, I have no idea when we'll get a workable drug that relieves the worst symptoms of COVID-19. By the way, I don't think we have one yet. That's the strong version of this disease can really wreck your lungs. I don't hear anything for that. You can be working from home just fine for nine days, like the prime minister of Great Britain. And then suddenly you have to go to the ICU. Now, you better believe Boris Johnson is getting the best possible health care in the world. Yet, geez, it might not be enough. That's terrifying to me. Meanwhile, it should be terrifying to you, too. Meanwhile, we don't have enough protective gear for our healthcare professionals, let alone their patients. Can you believe that's still a problem? And I go out, I'm going to leave here. And the moment I leave here, this goes on, okay? This goes on. Do I want it to go on? No. Do I like walking around with it? No. But this goes on. Why? Because I don't want to get you sick, and you don't want to get me sick, okay? Well, maybe nobody's sick. Well, hallelujah. How about some testing? We're hearing mixed things. Turns out the rapid test may not catch everyone who's sick. Have you heard that one? I did. I did a lot of work on this today, especially if they're newly infected. We need to get serious about testing. That's the only way to beat this thing, or else we are always one super spreader away from defeat. A week ago, the market plummeted when the White House had released a somber forecast, predicting 100,000, 200,000 deaths from this thing. Since then, we've had a number of anecdotal reports that we may be flattening the curve, particularly in places like New York. So far, we do have 12,000 dead. It's possible the 100,000 figure may turn out to be too high. At least we finally recognize that this virus is a lot worse than the flu or a bad cold. You don't go on a ventilator for one of those. So people are taking social distancing more seriously. That matters. People's behavior is shameless. Put it all together, and I think we got a ways to go before things can go back to normal. We've slowed the spread because social distancing is working. You end the lockdown, it's going to come right back. All that said, it's not like civilization as we know it's coming to an end. We've, we've, we've made some progress here. Judging from how quickly China's going back to work, we could be in good shape once this is over. Retailers that were viewed as dead or dying have seen their stocks double off the lows in the last two days. The cruise lines look like they're getting some financing that they need to avoid going under. In fact, the credit markets actually seem open for even the needies of companies. That's huge. If not, well, uh, reckless. Plus, the Fed and the White House are moving aggressively to put this alien economy on steroids. The loans, the backstops, the grants, they're all mind-blowingly positive. Washington has learned its lesson from the last downturn. Love them or hate them, President Trump is pulling out all the stops to keep the economy alive, especially trying to help small and medium-sized businesses that often get left behind and nobody cares about. I think that's terrific. It means there'll be some local restaurants and retailers left standing when all this is over, not just big national chains. But... Like I keep telling you, there's no economic solution to a pandemic that's biological. You can't just snap your fingers and make those customers come back. That's why I don't believe we can have that V-shaped recovery. There's too much fear. And unlike the Great Depression, when the only thing we had to fear was fear itself, this time we have good reason to be afraid. This time the only thing we have to fear is a novel coronavirus with a disturbingly high mortality rate. 
Now, sure, you can point out that it's not as deadly as lung cancer or car accidents, but you know what? We go to extraordinary lengths to prevent lung cancer and car accidents. We should do the same thing for this pandemic, which would uh, be hitting us a lot harder if not for all the social distancing. People don't want to die in a car accident, and they don't want to die from COVID-19. It's why we wear seatbelts, why we drive and have airbags. It's why you should wear a mask if you have to go outside right here, right now. And I don't feel like preaching, but you know what? I'm not seeing enough people wearing masks. So no matter how much money the government pumps in the economy, we won't be able to have a real recovery until we beat the virus. Without a treatment or a vaccine, the best you can hope for is a U-shaped recovery, where baseball season can start. But don't expect to be going to any games yourself unless you want to get on a plane. Holy smokes. And stay in a hotel. I mean, are you kidding? Or an Airbnb? Oh, If we get the pandemic contained gradually, the economy will bounce back gradually. And hey, a U-shaped recovery isn't all that bad. It's not an L where we just level off at a lower level. That's a hedge fund favorite, by the way, judging by the whining I hear. Or a W where we start the rebound, then go right back down, and then go back up. But that would be, by the way, the W. I have to talk about that later this week. That's the worst of all. The bottom line, without a V-shaped recovery, you have to be skeptical of these big moves higher. That's why we've been telling members of the ActionLearnsPlus.com club that they got to ring the register and ring the register, despite how painful it seemed to sell into that beautiful panicked opening if you were a bull. We now have a very high cash position again. Why? Because in a U-shaped recovery, I'm expecting the stock market will pull back again. And that is when you can put some money to work. Let's go to Max in Texas. Max. Yeah, hello. Hey. Here's a booyah from Houston, Texas. Why not? I thought, Why not? I thought I'd, go ahead. DeAndre Hopkins. <laughs> go ahead, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. I've got a problem stock, and it's called Ford. I bought a lot of the stuff at under 8 bucks a share. It went up to 18 bucks. I hung on to it. It went down to 12 Hung on to it. I was going to sell it off, but it started paying a dividend, so I hung on to it. Now it doesn't pay a dividend. Now it's under 5 bucks. Should I bail out on this thing? <laughs> you know, remember that 18? What was that? January? We did a River Rouge in 2011. Oh, my 18. I thought I could go higher. I thought I could earn five bucks a share. Um, what do you do with Ford if you own it? Uh, well, let's see. You've been through this much hell. Um, well, welcome to more hell. Let's go to Bill in Kansas, please, Bill. Yes. Hello, Jim. First time, long time. Here in Kansas, we all love what you do. Thank you. I love Kansas. I just love Kansas. I love that. By the way, you have a great aerospace business in Kansas. People don't realize it. And it's fantastic. There's like thousands of small businesses that make planes, make plane parts in Kansas. And I hope every one of those companies gets money from the government because they got to stay in business. How can I help? We are high tech people here. Well, Jim, as more and more people have diminished access to cash and use Square more and more often, is Square a good short-term and long-term investment? I like or will Square. The increasing population of those who cannot pay their bills hurt this no. stock. Square is good. And I've got to tell you, Jack Dorsey, let's give him some credit. He's moving a billion dollars of Square equity to fund virus relief. There's a guy who, put, who is a – he is now one of my heroes. I always liked his parents. His father follows me. They follow me on Twitter. Not, Jack doesn't follow me. Let's go to uh, Spike. Mike in Illinois. Mike. Professor Kramer. Oh, what's shaking? My call. Oh, Besides man, you're the education. So, I'm sorry, what? So I watch you every day from my home office, and okay. it got me thinking that it needs an upgrade. So my Mad Money hat started thinking about Wayfair, ticker symbol, ticker symbol W, 
And the stock has recently issued revenue beat guidance, and it has had an astronomical couple of trading days. My question is, is it too late to get in? What are the risks? Ticker Wayfair. Okay, so Karen Kramer, who was a legendary trader, she once said, okay, Jim, don't you understand? The news already happened. What do you add? What do you know now? And the answer is you and I... All we know is that it already had a really big move and the news occurred. If you want to get involved with Wayfair, you got to get involved last Wednesday. All right. I am hoping for a U-shaped recovery, but a lot of people want to take us to the ball game in Phoenix with no crowds, including like minor league places. There's an idea for you. Who came up with that? You come up with that? Yeah, I got a baseball friend here. It's from Boston. Oh, man, money tonight. As a... They're not playing in Boston. As Mad Money, as delivery-centric economy takes center stage, could a company like Prologis be worth considering? I got the real smart CEO. Then as the market heads higher again today, at least in the opening, what was the fear index signaling? I'm going to have to go off the charts. And with many businesses challenged by the surge of employees working from home, there it is again. This WFH. I'm going to buy one private player that's making it so it's a lot better. I say you stay with... Jim Kramer. <laughs> Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Looking for a rewarding, life-changing opportunity that enhances the lives of children in your community? With almost 50 years of experience, Huntington Learning Center is the nation's leading K-12 tutoring and test prep franchise, dedicated to shaping brighter futures for our students and franchisees. Huntington is the top revenue-producing supplemental education franchise in the U.S., and our proven system is the key to success for you and your students. The Huntington Advantage includes low startup cost, turnkey systems, dedicated support teams, national and local marketing support, and multiple revenue streams to help you build a life-enriching and profitable business. No education experience needed. In today's environment, the need for tutoring has never been greater. When you become part of Huntington Learning Center, you're filling an urgent need in the growing $5 billion supplemental education industry. To learn more, visit HuntingtonFranchise.com. Make a meaningful difference, pursue your dreams of business ownership, and be a positive force in your community. Don't wait. Visit HuntingtonFranchise.com today. Like I told you last night, I think some of the specialist real estate investment trusts are very enticing here. Today, I want to highlight another one that I've always liked. It's called Prologis. It owns warehouses and fulfillment centers all over the world. You see them along the sides of the, like, take Interstate 95, all the major highways. Uh, Amazon uses them, UPS uses them, FedEx uses them. They're some of the larger customers. They're a crucial cog in the e-commerce logistics machine. When the market got gets annihilated, well, you know what? Everything goes down. Prologis tumbled from 99 to below 60, and it bottomed there a couple weeks ago. So why didn't I pound the table then? Because even though the lockdown's great for online shopping, Prologis also has rents, rents warehouse spaces to traditional retailers. Not a great business right now, and so I was a little gun-shy. Plus, historically, this company's been a little cyclical. you got to worry about how they'll hold up in the face of recession. They were one of the first stocks that bottomed in the 2008-2009 recession. Yes.
Yesterday, Pelagius held a business update, though, and it turns out the positives far outweigh the negatives. And I was too, I was too reticent. Since most of the country went under lockdown, these guys have seen normal to above average level of lease activity, with short-term leases surging up 44% last month. The retention rate's actually up. They do have a lot of clients requesting rent deferral and uh, deferral and uh, default rates rising, but not that much. And it's offset by the massive lease activity from retailers that are trying to build out their e-commerce capacity, and they have to pay higher rates, by the way. And that's why the stock surged 9% yesterday. I think it's still enticing here, frankly. Don't take it from me, though. Let's go. Oh, let's have back, and he hasn't been here in a while, Hamid Mogadem. He's the chairman and CEO of Prologis and the dean of this group. To get a better sense of how his company's handling the lockdown, he called himself an old man on the conference call. I did not like that. <laughs> but you are the best, Mr. Mogadem. Good to see you again. Welcome back to Mad Money. Great to see you as well, Jim. All right, Hamid, I have to tell you, you set out in your conference call to distinguish between 2008 and 2009 and this period. And I just want you to tell our viewers, because it is remarkable how much better it is for pro lodgers. You're playing offense right now, aren't you? Uh, We are. I mean, 2008, ProLogis was a very different company. It had a very different balance sheet. Um, Today, it has one of the top two balance sheets in the REIT business. Uh, The market conditions were less favorable going into the downturn. Uh, You know, availability rates were almost double digit uh, in that downturn. Today, we're at 4.6%. So it's the lowest it's ever been in my career. So we're really um, a different company and entering the cycle in a very different set of conditions. You're also now much more of a global company. China, you've been dealing with the impact. You were, this was no stranger for you. You guys were ready. Yeah, we, we saw this um, in early January and, uh, you know, right go, going right into the Chinese New Year. In fact, we had one of our colleagues who was infected, I think, on January 8th or something. So we've been watching this thing for, for a long time. Now, Hamid, one of the things that you're too uh, you're too humble to admit, but the fact is that if someone is can't pay or they have to leave, you have below market rents right now. It's actually uh, additive to Prologis' bottom line if someone leaves. Correct? It is, Jim, and and you mentioned the issue of rent deferment and and things of that nature. And clearly, there are some customers who are having a tough time in this environment, just like everybody is. And uh, we'll work with those customers, but it's got to be legitimate. And I must tell you, there are others who want to take advantage of an environment like this. And uh, we don't look too favorably to those uh, situations. But that's been a minority. No, you're right. Uh, but I've been speaking I, to a very prominent retail analyst today who was saying to me, they sent letters to every one of these guys saying, hey, listen, we can't pay. And, you know, some people were dumb enough to actually you know, take it. But not you guys. You guys know how to do a credit check. We do. I mean, we we have requirements. First of all, we make all the customers aware of the federal assistance programs that have been put in place. We help them along that process. And if we need to, uh, we don't have a problem helping the customers that are really deserving. But uh, but this is not an opportunistic environment and nobody should behave that way. One thing that you did point out that I was very proud of, you said, look, there are there's more business. There's going to be more manufacturing in the United States. So you also caveat it by saying in North America. And you know what? Frankly, if it's in Mexico, they're not going to make it give us a hard time because we're great allies. But talk about that reshoring that you think is going to happen. You know, of course, that is going to be um, helpful to our business. But at the end of the day, we don't really care much about where stuff is made. We care about where stuff is confused. 
um, consumed, sorry. Um, and where things are made, changes with labor rates and tax policies and tariffs and all kinds of things, which are really unpredictable. But people don't move. Uh, you know, L.A. is a big consumption center. New York is a big consumption center. And those are the markets uh, where we have a big presence. And uh, we've, we found that by staying close to where the end customer is, uh, we can have a very profitable business that's resilient. And it sounds like the end customer, general retailer, food, medical supplies, electronics, and then the uh, the what goes with it, paper, packaging. Uh, these are all just incredibly strong during the month of March. Jim, two and a half percent of the global GDP goes through our buildings. Wow. So uh, just think about that. Two and a half percent. So pretty much everything goes through our buildings. And it's not a lot of luxury goods. There's some of that, of course, but but there are necessities. So some aspects of our business, of course, are going to get affected by this. You know, the convention business, the people who supply furniture and all that to conventions, the hospitality business, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, the medical business, the grocery business, the online e-commerce business, those are all taking more space today than they were a year ago. But it sounds like there is a have and have not. You mentioned that the kind of traditional uh, brick and mortar, it's almost they just can't do it, can they? Well, it's tough to sell goods when when you're closed and and there's (laughs) social distancing. So, you know, I feel for those guys. I mean, that's a tough business to be in today. And, uh, you know, the good ones will come back and do pretty well. But I think and and this trend from uh, bricks and mortar to e-commerce has been in place for quite some time. I think this situation uh, is accelerating it because a whole generation of customers, older customers like me, um, who may not have been as as involved with online uh, purchasing, they're now uh, learning new habits. And I, I don't think they're going to unlearn those habits as they discover the convenience um, of using online uh, products and services. No, I sure wish I'd include you. I did that piece the other day about real estate investment trust, and I focused on a couple of companies that I think don't have the growth path you do or in a little more cutthroat, which is data center. You own your space, and you've got the best balance sheet. Congratulations on everything you've accomplished. We do. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, that's Hamid Mogadam. He's the chairman CEO of Prologis. They've been through tough times, and they've come out on the other side, and this is really a great company. And I regret that I did you a disservice by not talking about this one when I did the piece about data centers, because this is in another part of the REITs, but it's a lot stronger in a lot of ways. Man, money's back in. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. How much faith should we put into yesterday's rebound and this morning's blast off rally? Yeah, the one that petered out this afternoon. 
In turbulent times, and this is about as turbulent as it gets, I find it's always a good idea to take your emotions out of the equation. Being emotional clouds your judgment, whether we're talking about panic or euphoria. That's why we need to take a more quantitative approach, focusing on the technicals as we do on Tuesdays. So tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Mark Sebastian. Oh, he's a brilliant technician who's the founder of OptionPit.com, as well as being my colleague at RealMoney.com. And he's our resident volatility expert, the guy I always go to. So I get a clear read of this roller coaster of a market. And maybe when it'll end... Right, throughout this pandemic, the CBOE Volatility Index, or the VIX for short, has been a very useful reality check. Normally, the VIX and the stock market move in opposite directions. When the market goes up, the VIX goes down and vice versa. There's a reason it's commonly known as the fear gauge. But when that normal pattern breaks down, it can tell you something very important about where stocks might be headed. So let's go right to it. First, take a look at these uh, daily charts, of the S&P 500 and the Volatility Index. All right. So uh, Sebastian points out that right before the market peaked, that's the S&P, in uh, February, the VIX was actually working its way higher along with the S&P. See, that's a dead giveaway that something was awry. Chart 2 tells you more. This is a zoom in on the S&P 500 and the VIX just since the beginning of March. Last week, the market was extremely choppy, and we only finished in the red, okay? However, during this period, during the period the S&P got hit, the VIX went straight down. Remember, a normal decline, the volatility index should go up. For Sebastian, the VIX performance last week confirmed that we already reached peak volatility of this move, and therefore the fear is subsiding. Most of the time when the VIX moves in tandem with the S&P, it's time the trend could be about to reverse itself. So when they're both going down at the same time, Sebastian thinks that's usually a great buy signal. Sure enough, we came in this week and got an amazing move higher. It's like a mini bull market in one session. Well, actually, one and a half sessions. It's just what you expect based on his methodology. However, these are not normal times. Sebastian thinks it pays to be cautious after yesterday's monster run and today's reversal. Why? All right, because, again, the VIX is supposed to go down when the market goes up. Yet the volatility was, go- was down a lot more last week when the S&P was getting hammered than over the past couple of days where the S&P has surged more than 8%. Uh-oh. Last week, a bad week for the stock market. The VIX fell from 65 to 46. The fear was way, way down. Yesterday, a great day for the stock market. It went from 46 to 45. Today, even when the averages were going strong, the VIX never went below 43. That was a sign that the move might prove to be ephemeral, and it was. Here's the problem for Sebastian. It was a good sign when the VIX nosedived along with the S&P 500 last week. It meant the decline in stocks might be temporary. But by the same token, it's worrisome when the market explodes higher and the VIX does next to nothing. Because, well, let, let's use some history here. Uh, what does this action mean? The closest analog for this market is the financial crisis in 2008 and 2009. And a lot of people talk about them as the same. Remember, that was the Great Recession. Take a look at what happened to the S&P 500 and the volatility index back then. And by the way, we don't really want a lot of similarities because that was a terrible time. In 2008, we had a longer and deeper sell-off than we've had in 2020. But it's also a lot slower. However, Sebastian sees some similarities. This was the only other time where the VIX surged above 80. Can you imagine 80? That was something when this happened. And crucially, volatility peaked in mid-November, months before the market actually bottomed. From the volatility peak through the end of 2008, the VIX moved steadily lower, while the S&P 500 made a nice pop. And then spent two months churning sideways. So that was like, you know, 
okay there. Back then, the fear had peaked. We processed the panic from Lehman going under. We had the banks were being bailed out. But we still had no idea how long the crisis would be and when it would end. Sebastian points out that we're seeing a very similar pattern right now. Back then, as we gradually realized the extent of the carnage and the S&P moved lower again, this time more slowly, without a big spike in the VIX. We, we already braced ourselves for more weakness. So the winter 2009 meltdown didn't freak people out the way the fall 2008 meltdown did. So you can see the VIX kind of didn't react. As Sebastian says it, we're going through the same thing right now, only faster. He thinks we're now in the December to January May, uh, time frame. OK, so if you want to go to December, January time frame, then we know that we're looking at a pretty decent time. OK, we're going to get up there. We start going up. But remember, this was this was down. I'm sorry. We're headed into. I don't want to say this was good. This was horrible. This was the fabled bottom. All right. Uh, that's where the market's no longer scared, but also not yet ready to sustain a rally. Uh, if the financial crisis is any guide, Sebastian's expecting choppy action for the next months. And by the way, choppy action is not good. OK, choppy action for the next month uh, as we start to see more hard data about the economy, the layoffs, the bankruptcies. He thinks we're going to get hit again. That's my thesis, people. That's exactly my thesis, as I said at the top of the show. But and this is a big but. If the VIX doesn't spike the next time the market rolls over, Sebastian recommends doing some buying in the weakness. In other words, there's no need to chase stocks after this week's rally. Amen. You can afford to be patient and buy the dips. And we saw a lot of dips in this period, too. Oh, and you're investing for the long haul. You may get some much better entry points than today. No need to feel any FOMO here. I couldn't agree more. Remember, we could be here, all right, because the VIX is steady. And at any given time, you're going to get a little blip up. And that was a fake out. This was a fake out. Get me? These were all fake outs. I don't want you to buy a fake out. I want you to get right here, or at least as close. Whatever. The bottom line. The charts, as interpreted by Mark Sabin, I almost put my fist through that. Did you know that? But because I'm Jimmy Chill, I didn't do that. The old Jim Cramer would have put his fist right through that. And then I would have just gone and gotten stitches. Anyway, the charts is uh, suggested by Mark Sebastian. The big fear, total collapse of the economy and the stock market, I think has been taken off the table. That's what he says. But that doesn't mean we're ready to roar. Instead, he's expecting a choppy market that may give you another leg down as the ugly economic data keeps rolling in. I think he's got a point. See, and, what, and think about all the stitches I would have had and would have been for, not, for naught. It would have been for naught. That's why I'm Jimmy Chill. Kevin in New Jersey. Kevin. Hey, Jim. How are you? Booyah. Booyah. How's it going? What? Really? It, you know, I, I got a great team. Let's put it that way. But I'm, I'm a, it's, not, it's not time to talk about how lonely I am, is it? No, keep going. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. What's up? So Goldman Sachs recently announced the sale of Beyond Meat. Do you think they're well, well enough diverse between supermarkets and restaurants to weather the storm? I do, Kevin. I really think that people who hate this stock do not understand that it's more than just whether it's a food service company or sold at the supermarkets. It's an ethos. I keep trying to tell people it's an ethos and they're going to be around for a long time. And Ethan Brown's terrific. And a lot of people are shorted. And I don't think it's a great short because short term, short can go down just the way Tesla did. Longer term beyond me is for real. And I think people should stop knocking it. I'm not saying if someone says that Jim just said, buy it. That person is someone who did not listen to the he listened to the capsule, not the whole thing. Where I said it could go down, but I like it. Let's go to Eli in Illinois. Eli. How's it going, Jim? Pretty good. How about you? Good. Thank you. 
So my question is about energy transfer, which I own a small position in. And it seems to me that energy transfer is in a good position to outlast the pandemic. But will it maintain its positive free cash flow? And what especially shocked what? me was the incredibly high dividend that they offer at a current chief, yield of chief, chief. I said that dividend this morning. I didn't trust it. This guy, Kelsey Warren, he'll buy anything that moves. This thing is at the epicenter, along with Chesapeake, of what could happen to the oil group. I. It's too late now, but there's a bad stock. There, I said it. And by the way, the Master Limited Partnerships. The chart suggests we don't want to have a total collapse of the economy. That doesn't mean we're ready to just roar in the stock market yet. We're probably somewhere around here. There's much more man money ahead. More and more organizations roll out remote working issues. Many businesses are struggling with issues around slow home networks. I'm buying a private company that can explain why your PC is so slow at home when you're working. Then, what stands out in this market? An appetite for risky debt. That's what stands out. I'll tell you what's driving it. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. We live in a new world. When this pandemic ends, and it will, people will go out to restaurants again. They'll go to movies and baseball games. They'll travel, but some things won't go back. I think the quarantine has forever changed the workplace. There are tons of jobs that we now know can be done from home with minimal hassle. Working from home, or WFH, as everyone's suddenly calling it, represents the future, which is why we're paying such close attention to the technology companies that make it possible. Companies like Riverbed. Now, this is a privately held outfit that invented the whole concept of wide area network optimization nearly 20 years ago. Their platform maximizes performance and security for networks and applications. Basically, they ensure that all of this remote work software is actually usable. The uh, company also has done a big cloud onboarding business of late. Now, Riverbed was taken private five years ago by Tom and Bravo, and they're still a major player here, and I think it's important to understand this industry. So let's take a closer look with Rich McBee. He's the president and CEO of Riverbed to get a better sense of what our work-from-home future might look like. Mr. McBee, welcome to Man Money. Well, thank you for having me on the show today. Okay, Rich. So if I didn't use Riverbed versus I do, give me the elevator pitch for why I should switch. Well, you should switch or you should uh, use our technology because it makes working at home easier. The applications that you use to as a, as a business professional in your home office uh, will work much faster using our technology. Uh, we've taken it basically from the branch office and extended it out to the home which you get uh, office-type speed for business applications at the home environment. Uh, Today, many of the workers that are working from home are having to deal with multiple people on the family network uh, trying to use the same amount of bandwidth at the same time. Well, look, one of the things that I've I've learned is that I don't like it that much, and I don't like it that much because it's not fast enough. If I had faster technology, would it make it feel like it's the real space age? I got the blue circle of death the other day. (laughs) Well, yeah, you know, this uh, technology that we've deployed agents out to the laptops or whatever device they're using at home um, does make it uh, significantly faster, up to uh, 10 times faster. So that's a real significant change for the business applications that they're using at home. 
Um, we have CAD companies that you can imagine a CAD file, how large that is, that they actually are working at home on a CAD device and uploading and downloading these super large files uh, is in- critical to their work. But if you have to wait 30 or 45 minutes to download that file, that is a real impediment to productivity. And, you know, what we see is that uh, they can download that file at the same speed that they were in the office. And that's an incredible uh, capability. So you turn my PC into something that's the equivalent of a much larger, more powerful PC uh, uh, workstation at my office. Well, uh, kind of. What it does is it gives you the same kind of speeds that you would see in an office environment at your home. And with, you know, if you look at the Fortune 500, there's 29 million uh, workers who are working from their home today. And if you think about how fast this transaction has happened, you know, literally 30 days ago, I was doing a town hall from our office in New York, and now I'm doing this broadcast from home. Boy, it's pretty good quality, got to tell you. Now, today, key Trump... (laughs) Key Trump Coronavirus Task Force must work remotely after positive COVID-19 tests. Even the task force. Will they tap into Riverbed? Well, a lot of government agencies will. I can't say who what customers are specifically using right. the capabilities or not, specifically uh, regarding to the government. But I can tell you that we've had a tremendous uptick in the uh, number of licenses. Uh, we even put a program in place for our installed base that said, hey, you can use this capability free for 90 days. Get it out to your homes. Get, get up and working in a business continuity environment. Um, once you're up in that environment, then uh, in 90 days, we'll worry about the commerce piece of it. I have to tell you that a friend of mine was talking about how uh, already uh, he knew someone who was laid off because, frankly, they started working at home and they turned out the person really wasn't doing much. Uh, I am wondering whether the companies are going to change forever and really see who's productive and who isn't. And in that sense, I want to be on riverbed because otherwise I'm going to go snacking. I'm going to get bored. I'm not going to focus on my work. They're kind of discovering who is uh, using their stuff and who isn't. So I imagine that in terms of work productivity, I want riverbed versus not. Well, you know, we actually have a small division called Eternity that you can – actually help users determine how productivity or how productive they are uh, while they're working using the, the apps, determining how fast, you know, applications are rendering and those kind of things. But, you know, if I think about how the workforce uh, or from work from home has changed, uh, the reality is when we finally get through this, and we will, uh, the fact of the matter is the workforce is going to be changed forever. I think that we've always looked at uh, the capability of having a nomadic worker or a worker that is in a mobile environment, mm-hmm. whether it be at a Starbucks or anywhere else, as the next iteration of kind of a cloud-based uh, network architecture. So we had been working on uh, uh, accelerating mobility for end users, and it didn't matter whether they were you know, in a store, in a coffee shop, or at home. It just happened to be everyone's locked in at home right now, and this capability was really available at, you know, the right capability at the right time. Well, last question. You came in, what, in, in last year. Uh, obviously, yeah. no one saw COVID coming. Um, how much <laughs> of what, uh, what people like about Riverbed uh, were things that they didn't really care about before uh, WFH? Uh, well, you know, I think it was not that they didn't uh, care about it, is that, that the environment wasn't right for the next generation of, of high-speed you know, work-at-home capability. 
So our strategy was really, really uh, focused on what we call the four pillars, uh, WAN optimization, we'll keep doing that, uh, application acceleration, network performance management, which gives people visibility into their networks when there's issues, and then SD-WAN. So those are the four pillars of our strategy for our company. And the reality is when uh, COVID-19 happened, uh, we saw a massive acceleration of our acceleration capability um, in our, our application acceleration and also in our network performance management where people who are now have a whole bunch of people. And if you think about a network, mm-hmm. you think about um, now we've introduced a whole nother set of nodes, which is the home office. And IT departments are trying to manage their networks, manage the latency in those networks, right. and determine, okay, what's, what's going wrong with the network? So our visibility solutions uh, have had a triple um, okay. uptake in the amount of uh, business that we've seen, as well as the acceleration, which has been uh, very large. Well, Rich, congratulations on transforming it and being definitely the right time and right company. Uh, I know a lot of people wish you'd be public because it's what we're looking for pure plays on this issue. That's Rich McBees, the president and CEO of Riverbed, a private company that is very much involved with what you might be doing, which is working from home. They have money's back into the book. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skate dash over the lightning round. Because we to start with Amos in Pennsylvania. Amos. Yes, sir. I'm here. Yo, hit me, Amos. How are you? Ah, I'm doing good. How about you? Oh, fantastic. Jim, I just wanted to know if, uh, if what you could, what your opinion was of IBM, and if you consider it a good defensive stock. I think it's good defensive stock. Arvin Christian was on yesterday. John Ford, congratulations on the interview. I do believe that a five percent yield is making it so it's worthwhile, and I think that their cloud strategy only proves sound. Rod in Illinois, Rod. Hey, Jim. Yo, Rod. What's up? Jim, I'm long term looking for value uh, and uh, a bit of a contrarian, and I'm wondering if. No matter who wins in November, if we're going to have a uh, an infrastructure plan, should I buy Floor Engineering, the company? No, no, I, that company's had it's missed the quarter, missed the quarter, missed the quarter, missed the quarter. You want a quarter misser that I like actually better than that quarter misser? I would buy U.S. Concrete down sixty two percent. It seems like anything that's in infrastructure is just a big mistake. Ultimately, just go buy Caterpillar. I see 10 points down, and I see 15 up. Not great, not bad. Let's go to Justin in North Carolina. Justin. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Justin. My name is Justin Turner. I'm from uh, North Carolina. I'm 23 years old, and I was wondering what you thought about Cracker Barrel for a long time. I like Cracker Barrel for someone your age. Got a good yield, but that's just accidental. Um, I have to tell you, I've always felt it represented great, uh, great value. And during the days when I was not Jimmy Chill, definitively, I used to love the apple pie with the cheese a la mode. But then again, I was a different person. Okay, let's go to different two people. Let's go to Roger in California. Roger. Jim, how are you? I'm a big fan. What do you think of uh, Boyd Gaming? Nothing. Nothing? No, nothing. I, I like mean, it I better. Well, if you want to be in that. When it was sick. Be in pen that. Okay, because then you got uh, you got my man Portnoy. I'm not kidding. As between Boyd and Port and uh, and Penn, you should go with Penn. They're both, by the way, better than Wynn and Las Vegas Sands. But I like Penn because I like Portnoy. Let's go to Patrick in Pennsylvania. Patrick. 
Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Go birds. Fly, Eagles, fly. Exactly. Exactly. Let's have an opening game, please. That's right. Missed it already. Hey, listen, Heck Bell. Just want to know what's going on. Uh, you know, the merger broke world. down. Look, if you like that, just uh, if you like that group, take a look at Boeing. I'm not kidding. Boeing is actually a better, a better opportunity. Let's go to Hector in California. Hector. Hey, Jimmy, chill. No. Uh, appreciate it. First off, I want to say uh, thank you for OptionFit.com and the Fibonacci Queen. They. Uh, Prove my trading Isn't a great, great deal, but I wanted to ask Isn't you about Enphase uh, uh, technology. I like Enphase. I like the solar power business. I think it's a terrific. Co- I had to, you know, this one was hard for me because it's such a high flower. But I am a huge solar believer. And I think this one works. Let's go to Evan in Wisconsin. Evan. Oh. Evan. Did we lose oh, Evan? Moment. That would be a disaster. Did we lose Evan? Hello. Hi. Uh, Hi, Evan? This, this is, uh, yes, this is Erica, his mom, and I would love to see handing the phone to him. Let's hear from Evan. 16. Thank you. Let's hear from Evan. Did Evan give us a stock? Yeah. Booyah, Jim. What's Booyah, up? Evan, what's up? All right, so I've been considering buying some shares of Dave & Buster for a while, and All I'm right. wondering if now would be a good time to buy. Okay, Dave & Buster has a lot of debt, so this is a good object lesson for us. You've got to go look at all that debt. You know, you, you got to study that balance sheet because otherwise you're absolutely right. If it didn't have a lot of debt, I would say buy it. But remember, these guys have leases. They have issues. Uh, people, you, you got to go drinking and eating there. You don't like that anymore in this country because of the corona thing. So I'm going to say pass. One more. How about one more? Let's go to Harlan County. Harlan in Washington. Harlan. Yes, Jim. Yeah, I'm holding on the shield of a Vita Medical. They are healing people's burns. Speculative, you know they do speculative, but I like it. You know, I like that skin replacement business. I think it's very good. We know them, and I say I salute you for buying something speculative in this time of COVID. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. The economy is getting pulverized here, but there's one big difference between the Corona recession and the Great Recession. This time, the companies that really need money can actually get it. This time, there's no financial crisis, at least not yet, because of this terrific job the administration, the Fed and Congress are doing pumping money into the economy. If you remember during the bad old days a dozen years ago, there, there was very little money to be had, especially for the banks. At the time, bank executives went on missions to find deep-pocketed sheiks and rich Koreans. They went hat-in-hand to sovereign wealth funds the world over. Lehman scoured the world for investors before the government said, uh-uh, you're done. Morgan Stanley got MUFG as a partner. Goldman Sachs and Bank of America were able to attract Warren Buffett. But Washington Mutual, Wachovia, Bear Stearns, they didn't get through to the other side. Fortunately, it's different this time. Look at Carnival. They've got ships in the water unable to dock, incubating the virus. There's a budding Australian criminal investigation of the Ruby Princess, the ship where 11 people died and 662 people got infected. That's ghastly. There are words to describe the state of the cruise industry right now, but I can't say them on basic cable. Yet Carnival just sold 71.8 million shares for 
$8 and attracted 8.2% stake from a Saudi wealth fund in that very successful fundraise. The stock's now at $11.30. Wowzer, that's amazing. They sold about $4 billion in straight debt with an 11.5% coupon due 2023, and they got almost $2 billion in a 5.75% senior convert. These are all great for everybody, I hope. Anyway, it's quite a, a haul considering that they can't do business. Even genuinely troubled companies can raise capital here. A good sign for the economy, at least for now. Then this morning, I listened to the CEO of Slack, who came out and said he raised tons of money for the public markets. Upsized $750 million of 0.5% convertible notes. Slack, a company that Microsoft is gunning for, yet they're easily, they easily raise, raise oodles of cash. In fact, they're only looking for $600 million, for heaven's sake. Last week, a lot of companies were worried that the debt markets might not be open. That's no longer the case. I see even the oil producers getting relief. I guess they think there's got to be some mergers somewhere. I wonder if the hotel and restaurant industry might have a shot. I mean, if Carnival can raise money, nearly anybody can. Remember, I'm not talking about the government's payroll protection program, which helps small business. I'm talking about huge cash-starved companies raising mountains of cash from the stock and bond markets. Earlier tonight, we heard from Prologis, the Logistics Real Estate Investment Trust. They made the point that companies are being much smarter this time around. They manage their maturities better. They husband their cash for a rainy day. In short, they learned their lesson from the last recession. Plus, these days, we have huge tech companies like Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Alphabet, sit on mounds of cash as a matter of course. They can do whatever they want with that money, other than, of course, going on a shopping spree because the government cares about antitrust enforcement. During the financial crisis, the FDIC and the Treasury were arranging shotgun marriages between distressed banks all over the place, going under. Now, maybe we're simply at the beginning of the process, and when other cruise lines come to market, the money may not be there. Maybe they can hold out until people forget how dangerous and cruises during a pandemic. Maybe the whole thing was just a big mistake, and when we come out on the other side, they'll generate huge returns. All I know is maybe the Slack deal was merely the best opportunity for hedge funds to get a tiny bit of yield with the possibility of some upside. I say so what? I think it's incredible that there's still an appetite for risky debt here, and that could make a huge difference for an ultimate economic comeback, assuming the markets don't freeze up again. Stick with Kramer. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.